Welcome to Because and Effect, the podcast from the Winnipeg Foundation, where we talk to people about the causes they care about and the effect that it has on their lives. My name is Nolan Bicknell. Tom Brick has a very humble wisdom that has helped him in his role as board chair of the Winnipeg Foundation and countless other volunteer experiences. I was honored that he was able to sit down with me to discuss the state of the philanthropic sector at this pivotal moment in time. We end up talking about the culture, how it's changing, and how it will continue to change in a post-pandemic world. We talk about the foundation's role and direction and the secret to a successful board of directors and pretty much everything in between. Please enjoy my conversation with Winnipeg Foundation Board Chair Tom Breck. Welcome to the Because and Effect podcast, first one of 2022. My name is Nolan Bicknell, and I'm now joined via Zoom by Tom Brick. He is the new board chair of the Winnipeg Foundation, but has also been on the board for, I think, since 2013, and is just generally uh, a, philanthrop- a philanthropist, a volunteer. He's done so many things on so many boards, it would take forever to, to name them all. Tom, thank you for joining us today on the podcast. Great to be with you, Nolan. So we wanted to just have you as our first guest of 2022, because we're kind of at the foundation, we're in a bit of a, you know, forward looking transition, we have Sky at the helm now Skybridge is our new CEO. Uh, I know you were a part of the sort of search party that kind of brought Sky in, We'll, we'll talk about that a bit later, but maybe just before we get into foundation business, how have you been handling the pandemic for the last two going on three years? Um, what's it been like for you and your family? And just in general, like, how have you been doing for the for 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 COVID and everything that's happened? Well, you know, everybody's uh, at a different point in their lives. For me, it was really interesting. Uh, The pandemic hit just as I was getting ready to retire. So I spent kind of the last two and a half months of my career uh, in the working world dealing with the pandemic. So I have some appreciation for what working people are going through. Um, My retirement has been fantastic, but not what I expected it would be (laughs) to this point. But, you know, quite frankly, uh, I, I, you know, I I think my family and I have been doing well. Um, uh, We've stayed healthy. Uh, We've had a granddaughter join our family during the pandemic. Congratulations. Thank you. I think that was probably the most stressful because they're in Toronto when we went Mm. quite a number of months where it just wasn't safe for us to uh, go and visit. But, uh, you know, overall, I, I think our, our family's uh, adapting quite well and uh, doing our best to keep each other safe and keep our friends and family and community safe and yeah. hopefully get out of this sooner than later. No kidding. That's all we can really do at this point is just try to stay connected and try to keep community alive in some ways, right? I see the uh, the bass guitar in the background there. Have you ah. been practicing a lot? or? Uh... <laughs> yeah, you know what? I've probably played my guitar more in the last two years than the last 20. <laughs> so that's a good thing. Yeah, exactly. I keep telling people like that, that we're going to have a renaissance of art and and music yep. and and everything. In the, and it's you can already tell people are just clamoring to see live shows again. What are you most looking forward to when sort of things open up again? Maybe Jets game, maybe things like that. What are you most looking forward well, to? Well, so when- yeah, so Jets is interesting. I mean, I have been to Jets games uh, while they were playing and we'll see how that goes. Uh, I think, you know, I, I love to travel and travel has been really a difficult thing to do for the last couple of years. So uh uh, I very much look forward to that. But, you know, you mentioned live music and, and we have, I mean, Winnipeg's a cultural mecca, right? For theater, music, dance, sports, everything. So I really look forward to that, that fully opening up. We've had a couple of 
times where we thought, okay, this is good, but uh, you know, we're, we're back where we're back where we are. Yeah, the you keep seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, and then the light keeps moving that much farther back. The goalposts keep getting moved out over and over. But yeah, it just seems like soon we'll have we have to get back to some sort of normalcy soon. But do you think that there is going to be a new norm? Like I, I've heard two two arguments. Like one that um, the world has changed, and there's going to be no there's going to be pre COVID and post COVID, and nothing's going to really you know be normal again. Or do you think we're going to actually return to return to work? Go to the go back to the office. Go back to you know business as usual. Or what? Do you, how do you think that's going to shake down? Yeah, as a friend of mine says, you know the before time. <laughs> and uh, so look, uh, I mean this is um, a worldwide event that's uh, significant. Uh, I don't think it's possible for us as human beings to go back to what was uh, it, it makes you question a lot of assumptions on how things are organized etc and so um, you know it, it is amazing what organizations have had to do to adapt things that they might have studied for a couple of years got done in a month <laughs> and uh, you know we, we find out what works and what doesn't work and, and uh, technology continues to evolve and so you know, going back to what was, I just can't see that. I think the world will continue to evolve for the better, I would hope. Um, and we learn our lessons and how to incorporate them. Um, you know, not in every country, but certainly in countries like Canada, um, work-life balance, it's a big challenge. And um, I think organizations and individuals have had to learn more about uh, boundaries and mm. flexibility mm -hmm. and it'll be interesting to see uh, how we um, incorporate this into kind of the new normal as you call it because i think that's very important yeah you talked uh, i think before we started recording just about the zoom calls and just sort of the new way yeah. of doing business maybe within the context of the foundation and 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 all of your work volunteering and stuff like how has that affected how business is done, you know, from, from the foundation's perspective, because we, I mean, we knew Rick was leaving for a long time. We knew that we had to find someone new. We didn't know that that would be happening in the middle of a global pandemic. Right. So right. maybe take, yeah, take me back to the start of the sort of committee to find sky. I don't know what the official title right. was probably not that, but no. uh, you know, what, what, once that decision was made and Rick was stepping down and we knew that we were going to be looking forward, take me back to that time. What was your mindset? What was the process? What was everything? that kind of went into that decision right so um once it became clear that that rick was going to be retiring when he was retiring uh you know take a big uh, big gulp <laughs> because rick 23 years you know his, his legacy is incredible um but rick has never pretended that the winnipeg foundation was about him it would have been a disservice to him if we couldn't find a way to continue to build on his legacy so um, I was given the uh, responsibility uh, of uh, chairing the CEO search committee. So, uh, you know, the first thing I had to do is find out uh, what did the board want? So uh, come up with uh, kind of a terms of reference for the committee and a process. So there would be clear who does what, when, and what our timelines are and what our authorities are. Once we did that, then uh, the really important part was uh, putting a team together from the board um, so that we'd have a diversity of views and experiences, and people um, who have the time, because it is, you know, it's an interesting process. It might be whatever, four months in the first month, you know, not much happens, second month. Well, I can tell you that last month is a really busy month. <laughs> mm -hmm. And um, 
So, you know, that, that's an important component. And then, of course, you need uh, staff resources, too, and professional resources. So, um, you know, processes is really an important part of anything in governance. And so the first part was make sure we had a process that everyone agreed would be uh, the right one at the right time for our organization. So I think that was uh, the most important thing was, was starting with that. And because if you don't have that right, then you're probably not going to get the right team. And, and we had a great team. For sure. You seem like a big process guy. Was that from your parents or like, where does that is it from just working in, I think you work with at the uh, uh, Cambridge Credit Union, is that right? So yeah, like, Credit obviously yeah. finances needs process behind yeah. it, but like, where does that come from of, of just be, being aware of how important that is? Well, I think it's really important when you're on a board of any organization, because nobody has the authority to do anything on a board. It's what you do collectively. Mm. So, you know, um, when you're making decisions and you're dealing with something, you better agree on what the process is first. Process is a big friend, big friend. You also have to be careful that it doesn't become some bureaucratic exercise or paralysis by analysis. But if you agree on a process, then it, it saves a lot of, uh, you know, heartache as you move through whatever issue you're dealing with. Yeah, very well said. So when Sky came across your desk or came, you know, what what was your impression? And, you know, obviously I have, I've been at the foundation coming on eight or nine years now, and I've never been this optimistic about the direction that the foundation's in. I think Sky's an incredible leader. Every, every time he talks, I just go, yeah, that, that's a good, that's a good, good way to put things. Like he's just so eloquent and so smart, but I'm just curious of your first impression and like how that interaction went and, and, and what you thought when he kind of came across your desk. He, well, he literally did come across my desk because it was on a zoom call. Oh, there you go. Exactly. <laughs> Which, uh, it was kind of ironic. It was the second time in a number of months I'd been involved in something like this. And I never imagined I'd be meeting people through Zoom, potentially hiring them down the road. Anyways. Well, it's, it's a whole different dynamic too, right? Like oh, obviously okay. I started this podcast in person and then now I'm yeah. having to, and it is doable, but it's not there. It's yeah. not quite the same as, you know, shaking the hand, looking in someone's yeah. eye and, and being yeah. in person. So what was that dynamic like going across over Zoom? Yeah, no, it's uh, for sure. It was, uh, well, you know, he, he was uh, with his TV background. It's probably a lot easier for him than it was for all of us on the committee. But look, I mean, you know, you go through a process where you're trying to, uh, I get a better insight into candidates, their background, um, what their thinking is, what from their background would be relevant to them leading, uh, their view of what they see as the future, uh, how they lead, these types of things. So, you know, um, obviously we had a very good first chat with Sky or there wouldn't have been a second or subsequent uh, chats. But, uh, um, you know, and I, I think that's another reason why you have to go through a good process. Um, I'd never met Sky. Didn't even know about Sky. And I don't know how many, if any, in our committee did. But we had a very good process uh, that, you know, uh, went out to the marketplace to really uncover individuals. And obviously Sky, you know, <laughs> did a good job. Uh, not to spoil the ending, but you already have. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I don't want to spend too much time talking about that. But again, the process was important to uncover uh, someone um, that, you know, you don't necessarily know because, you know, human beings were funny, right? As soon as uh, somebody announces they're retiring and the position's open, you immediately start thinking of people and everybody does that, mm -hmm. right? But you can't, you can't become focused on that. You have to broaden the tent and make sure you think this through and follow a process. So uh, yeah. yeah, obviously Sky did great. Yeah, awesome. So 
looking forward, obviously Sky's at the helm now and we're sort of, but the foundation, I always, uh, the, the, the metaphor I always see or use is it's a giant ship and it's going in a, in a specific direction. Yeah, we can kind of tilt it a little bit, one or two degrees, but for the most part, we're going in a direction and we're going in a strong direction. You know, there's millions of dollars going out the door every year, over a thousand charities and nonprofits that we're helping. But what do you see as those kind of like one degree left or one degree right, as far as like different directions that the foundation is going to be moving in, um, in the next hundred for, for, for the next hundred years of the foundation's existence? What do you, what do you see that's going to be slightly different or is it stay the course or, or what, what's your mindset? Well, so this is, you know, a very interesting time. We're starting our second hundred years, right? Uh, I've never really been involved in organizations starting in second century. <laughs> you know, that in itself is, is kind of mind boggling. Um, but it, it also, uh, it also speaks to, you know, the role that Winnipeg Foundation plays in our community. So this is a really interesting time. Sky started, uh, you know, essentially the end of April. Um, he had a nice opportunity to uh, spend some time uh, with uh, Rick before he left. And that was great. Uh, but anyways, you know, we, you finish off the year and a new year coming up. So I think the most important thing we're going to do this year is exactly what you just talked about. And let's talk about that future because uh, our strategic plan is coming to an end. And I know uh, everybody on staff is engaged in where this is going. Again, um, you know, you have to put a good process in place. And I think Sky working with the board has put a very good uh, process in place over a long period of time so that we can come to um, the plan that will continue to move us forward. Um, I, you know, I, I think you mentioned I joined the board in 2013. That sounds about right. And there's things we're doing now that we didn't really talk about or we weren't sure if that's where we should go back then. And, and they're a big part of what we do now. So mm. um, I can't tell you what we're going to be doing in 100 years. I can tell you what our vision is and what we're going to be moving towards. Uh, but strategies, you know, come and go based on the environment. But the vision stays. So, you know, we'll be working towards making sure that this is a community where life flourishes for all Winnipeggers. And that's, that's what our vision is. That is the goal. Have you always volunteered and, and found this valuable in, you know, like, and, and as a oh. part of your career, has, is this a thing more later when you're, when I I mean, I was looking at all of the different boards, Manitoba Blue Cross, ICD Manitoba chapter, uh, Assiniboine Park Conservancies, Mark Carmel, Mount Carmel Clinic, Winnipeg Chamber of Commerce, Phoenix Soccer Club, the Rusalka Ukrainian Dance Ensemble, which my mom is actually a uh, Ukrainian dancer to this day. She's part of a group called the M&M's, so shout, shout out to them. Right on. Uh, uh, and it's called it, M&M's is short for menopausal mamas. I don't know if that's public, <laughs> public knowledge, but they almost always get gold in there. Anyways, congrats to my mom's uh, Ukrainian dancing group. But I mean, where did, where did this, you know, the service mindset come from? Was that instilled at you in a young age? Is it more later in life? How, how did that come to be? Yeah. I, you know, <laughs> I, I'd have to say at a young age, um, my parents, but in, in particular, uh, my dad, was uh, very involved in a lot of organizations, charities and cultural organizations and these types of things. So um, I just saw him doing these things all the time and he seemed busy. It just seemed normal to me. <laughs> I didn't really think much about it until I was in my mid twenties or so. And then uh, I got involved in some organizations and, you know, <laughs> you, you talk about these things I was involved with. I, I can tell you in every case, I got way more out of it than whatever people think I put into it. I mean, the people you meet, the knowledge you gain about your community, about whatever issue it is you're dealing with, 
And uh, when you move the needle on whatever is you're moving, you know, it, it's a collective uh, celebration. And, and uh, well, I've met so many incredible people through it. It's that simple. So um, it's not something I did later in life. I can tell you that I've done it through my whole life. And, and uh, I, my, my dad told me this. I don't remember how old I was, but uh, probably a teenager or something. We were probably talking about this topic. And uh, I know it wasn't his quote, and I can't remember... Uh, whose quote it was, uh, but he used it often. <laughs> you know, um, community service, volunteerism is what we do to live in society. Mm. This is the rent you have to pay. And um, you have to be involved. If you're capable of being involved, if your circumstances allow you to be involved, um, you have to contribute. So, you know, I, I don't ever remember a conscious decision getting involved. I know how I got involved in most organizations that I've been involved with, uh, going back to some of my first ones. Actually, the very first board I probably sat on was uh, the board of the Rusalka Ukrainian Dance Ensemble, because my knees were shot and I got married and now I had a full-time, you know, career and uh, my passion uh, had to be put to the side. So <laughs> you were a dancer. Is that what I'm hearing? Is that oh, yeah. That was yeah. a big passion of mine. Yeah. I had so many great experiences because of my association with Ukrainian dance and in particular with Salka. Awesome. Yeah. So you, were you doing the like the coffee grinder move and all those jumps and everything? Like you uh, could. Yeah. Jump, jumping was my thing, actually. Awesome. That's so good. My uh, my cousin Larissa is actually a professional. She travels all over the world, goes to like Brazil and it's with uh, what's it called? Vahone or Vahone out of uh, out of Edmonton. And yeah, uh, yeah they're one of the top uh, fire. Literally is what it yeah, means. Yeah. Yeah, good she, for her. Well, talk about knees. She's had like multiple knee surgery. I don't think it's very oh, yeah. good on the joints that Ukrainian dancing, you know? It's no, like... it's not, especially for males. <laughs> and I can tell you as a guy who just got into his 60s, there's some uh, things coming home to roost. <laughs> oh, geez. Get, get those ice packs out. Me and a few buddies. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. So what, I mean, you just started retiring, but it seems as though you're not any less busy, right? But what does retirement look like for you? Are you going to continue kind of participating in, in boards and, and doing things like that? Are you going to take it some time off and relax a bit? Or what's what's your plan for the next 10 years of, of your life? Yeah, 10 years is a long time. Uh, but you know what, I, I do enjoy uh, community work. A lot of times, <laughs> you know, that, that involves being on boards, but it's not strictly being on boards, There's many ways to contribute. Um, so you know, I don't know, um, the next five years or so, I, I think I've got enough to keep me busy enough. I do want to watch my grand, do I say grandchildren? I don't want to put pressure on my kid. <laughs> His grandchild at this point grow up. I want to spend a fair amount of time with family and friends. I've had a very busy life. And if I do look back, um, you know, I wish I'd had more time to spend with friends in particular. And I'm really enjoying reconnecting with friends that I haven't seen as much as I would have liked to have over the last few decades for sure has the pandemic changed your approach to anything like that family friends work you know oh, anything? Oh, yeah well i think it's made you realize even more you know clearly how, how important these connections are so um certainly while times were good there for this nice little window we had whatever it was six months uh boy you know saw a lot of friends and but we have you know had our virtual uh, parties online and these types of things and, and just trying to find new ways to connect and make sure everybody uh, feels good about themselves and where they are. It's a very stressful time for everybody. So, um, yeah, I mean, this is try to connect, right? 
Yeah, exactly. That's it. That's the the community and connection are the things that I keep coming back to because that's the thing that I missed. You know, I I've I grew up on computers. I've been playing video mm-hmm. games and being in an online world since I was you know five years old. So that transition didn't really affect me. But it was like when my hockey team couldn't play or my volleyball team couldn't play or like. Yeah when I couldn't go and do the community things that are even going to work and, you know, whatever it is going for a beer with people after yeah, was, was the thi- that was the thing that I was like, okay, we can't lose that because that's what really affected my mental health and, and the mental health of, of those around me. And I, I think like it, I don't know if it's short, short-sighted isn't the right word. Cause we obviously had to like make sure that nobody got sick that c- couldn't get sick, but I'm, I'm trying to find the balance of like, yes, we have to keep everyone sick, but we also can't go into a 10 year mental health pandemic after this, 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 you know, virus pandemic is dealt with. Um, How have you personally been dealing with the mental health struggles that everyone is currently going through because of this like mass traumatic event that we're all living through together? Like how, how have you and your, your family sort of coped with the, with the mental aspect of things? Yeah, there's no question. It's, it's a challenge. Um, And, you know, we've got people in our family who are uh, 95 and people who are uh, 15 months old and so you know everybody's got different ways of uh, different stages of life and and different challenges of dealing with these things you know I don't think there's any one thing we've done I think it is about trying to stay connected uh, making sure people aren't isolated which is uh, and that's it's not just you know uh, my father-in-law is 95 years old he lives on his own he's incredibly healthy um but he's 95 years old and we all have challenges, right? Um, I've got a, a, a daughter in her mid-20s, just started her career. Um, you know, uh, she uh, loved going to work and now she's been working out of her uh, home for two years, right? And uh, so just simple things, I think back, uh, you know, like I say, Friday, going out for a pop after work, uh, not so easy to do. So how do you get yeah. to know people? Quite frankly, it's it's a challenge for boards as well, right? Because you know, I was saying earlier, no one person on a board makes a decision. You do them collectively, and boards are social organisms. That's what they are, and they require understanding and trust. And it's tough to do it when you don't socialize in the normal ways, which includes talking for fifteen minutes before a meeting, talking at a break going out with somebody for a bite afterwards or whatever the case may be yeah. or, or social events that you might have uh, not just with the board, but board of management and these types of things. So um, the mental health thing, I, you know, you, I think we've just tried to, within our family, just try to make sure people don't feel isolated uh, notice when maybe uh, they're not as up as they normally would be and try to understand it. It's, it's, and, and we all go through this. I'm an optimist by nature. Um, so <laughs> I try to stay positive and I kind of a lot of times go, well, it's not as bad as, you know, right. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, what's well, a challenge for everybody I and mean, all families say, if you've got family, <laughs> uh, you know, have to have to work with each other and stay connected. Yeah. What's it been like growing up and kind of like having this career in Winnipeg where everyone says it's kind of like a big, small town, everybody knows everybody. Obviously, that's kind of a uh, you know dual-edged sword. There, everyone knows everyone, so it's great. But also, everyone knows everyone, so you know if there's a misstep or something, everybody knows it too. So maybe just speak to Winnipeg in general and sort of the you know the community 
mindset that we all have had and have had to have just to be able to survive on this prairie when it's minus 35 out or whatever it is today. But just you talk know, about that, Winnipeg and, and, and the connections sure. there. Yeah, you know, that that's absolutely your, your insights are bang on. I mean, this, this community is pretty isolated. Uh, through our history, we've had to learn to depend on each other. Um, that's just the way it is. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's a connection point. Transportation has been a big part of our history. So that's kind of a nice kind of metaphor for how we all have to connect. Um, yeah, so, you know, in Winnipeg, um, it's a, it, because it is, like you say, a small town, small big town, um, there, there's, no, there's no really to hide. Mm. You know, if you don't kind of try to conduct yourself with some integrity and honesty, et cetera, it's, uh, it's, it's a tough community. If whatever it is you're trying to do, business or arts or whatever, um, your, rep, your reputation matters because there's nowhere to hide. You know, there's some pretty big places out there where ah, you can get away with things because people don't know. Mm. And I'm not saying that that makes them bad communities. I'm just saying, you know, uh, it's just tougher. Uh, where you grew up, you grew up in Russell, right? Well, everybody knew what was going on, right? <laughs> same exact same vibes. Yep. So, and, so, for, not, and for those of us that got in trouble quite a bit, it was yeah. kind of tough to, you yeah. know, always have everybody know your business a little bit. Yeah. But, yeah well, so. it's not quite the same here in Winnipeg. It's a little bit bigger. <laughs> but nevertheless, you know what I'm saying? So uh -huh. uh, I think it's important that, you know, people think about how they, they want to uh, conduct themselves. That's a That's very, very it shouldn't matter where you are, but it just, you know, in Winnipeg, um, a lot of secrets if you're if you if you have uh, problems conducting uh, business whatever with people yeah i'm, I'm reminded of of certain nhl players you know it, it, you can kind of get away with things in winnipeg or in you know new york because you're a big fit or a small fish in a big pond whereas in winnipeg all eyes are on you and you have to conduct yourself in a certain way so that's very it's very true very true uh, so Tom, at the end of our time together, we do a segment called just because it's seven questions that I ask all my guests about the causes you care about and the effect that it has had on your life. You okay to go through those with us right now? Let's go. Lucky okay. Seven. Right on. Oh, I got to pull them up here. Question one. What is the very first cause you even remember caring about? Hmm. Well, it depends how you define cause, but you know, I'll go to kind of organizational stuff. So, um, you mentioned Mount Carmel clinic. Um, so I was uh, pretty, pretty young guy when I got on that board, um, recruited by a, a gentleman named Wayne Scaro, whom I had incredible respect for. And, uh, I really didn't know all that much about Mount Carmel when I got on there. Uh, but, uh, wow, what an education that was for me. Um, I've spent a lot of time in what we call the North end, um, my Ukrainian dancing days and had a lot of friends and, and I worked in the North end. Uh, but I really didn't know that much about Mount Carmel Clinic. And so I, I sure learned a lot about um, community-based healthcare and how the community knows what's going on and what the needs are and how innovative they can be and the partnerships they would develop. So I, I you know, just incredible, incredible learning journey for me. Um, things like the Ann Ross daycare. And um, we had this dentistry program where uh, in partnership with the U of M Dental School. Um, students who come out under supervision and provide dental care to people who couldn't get dental care. Amazing. Tough to eat if you don't have teeth. Um, <laughs> no you know, um, 
just I just learned so much because we started every board meeting with a um, uh, kind of presentation from different parts of the organization. So you quickly uh, got a pretty good understanding of what was going on beyond, uh, you know, kind of uh, just the, the broad strokes. Yeah. The, the so I, I remember that really, uh, it was an absolute beacon in the community. Still awesome. Has. Great answer. Yeah. Beautiful. Question two, if money and politics and logistics and process were no issue at all, you could just snap your fingers and something would happen. What's the first thing you would do in support of your current cause? Well, I don't know if the first thing I would do, but the, the result would be that everyone's healthcare needs could be taken care of. And I think I would have said that probably before COVID, but mm -hmm. oh my God, if this pandemic hasn't taught us anything, it's about how important health is. Yeah. And uh, you can never take it for granted. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a very complicated field. <laughs> but since you were giving me this genie in the bottle opportunity, uh, that, would, uh, that would be it for me. And I, I guess the only thing I'd say, uh, kind of bring it back to real world, is as we come out of this pandemic, you know, we as Canadians are going to have to have some serious discussions uh, about how we ensure that universal uh, health care uh, doesn't just survive, but thrives and has resiliency yeah. and uh, can do what we all want it to do. Yeah. Um, people are doing incredible rate work right now in our healthcare system, but um, it's, uh, it's not really built for what we're dealing with. <laughs> Very well said. Yeah. My mom uh, is a nurse and my girlfriend partner is a, is a midwife. So I know firsthand, like all of the struggles that people are going through right now. And I think the word that comes to mind is sustainability yet. Yeah, like, yes, we're currently handling things, but there's no way that the people who are our first line responders who are in the trenches every single day and are dealing with unfathomable stress and difficulties and, you know, people going through the worst moments of their life. It's like, you can't, rely on these people to keep, you know, holding up the entire yeah. society, something's got to give eventually. And it, and, it, and it's terrifying to think about like the people, the burnout, right? The burnout right. that's happening in that industry right now. So yeah, I think that's a great place to focus. And if we could have the genie snap, like, that's a good place to, to look first. But you know, it's a it's a stressful thing to think about right now, for sure. Yeah. Uh, question three, what's the biggest misunderstanding or stigma that uh, you've been dealing with in your work? Hmm. So, you know, I'm not sure what you mean by my work. <laughs> well, I mean, the causes of philanthropy, you know, philanthropy, yeah. anything. Yeah, so, yeah, it's, so, you know, I'll deal with the foundation. Um, I don't know stigmas, but um I think sometimes people don't understand the role um, that endowment foundations play and how important they are. Mm. Um, I, I think our model, which is primarily endowment-based, you know, is, is beyond proved itself throughout the hundred years, but certainly uh, when the pandemic hit. When the pandemic hit, a lot of charities had their uh, traditional revenue sources slashed, not available, couldn't conduct types of fundraising activities they did, and uh, they had existential issues. And our model um, gives us some certainty to a certain extent, right, within a range of what our resources are to support the community. When you combine that with the knowledge that our board and in particular the staff have with um, all our partners out in the community, 
I mean, I, I just think it, it was incredible what the foundation did to get money out into the community to help our community um, so effectively. So, you know, our, our this uh, endowment model is really, really an important uh, an important part of our community. And, and if you know, if you kind of look at economics and markets and the sizes of what we do, it, it is kind of built to, uh, it almost can help it continue to be more successful in the future. If that makes any sense. No, yeah. I won't get into the whole thing, but you know, the larger you get, the smaller your transaction costs get. The more diversified you can be. The more diversified you can be, better chances there that you're gonna have more consistent returns over a longer period of time. And, um, you know, there's a, a book written by Thomas Piketty, uh, a French economist, and he's got some great, great formulas in there that I, even talks about foundations in there, um, that, you know, kind of explains why this model should continue to uh, be a tremendous, tremendous resource for the community. Yeah, I've uh, we we've internally been having a lot of discussions just on the communicate well on you know at the staff level in general yeah. of just like the model, what that means, how you know because a lot of times people see like how much is getting donated, how much do we have in the bank, like how much is yeah. the endowment worth, and then all these conversations about like well should we should we be spending more, should we be spending less, should we be you know dipping into that thing, but what you said about like the consistency when other revenues get taken away, the stability and the foresight of this model it shines through and it's kind of like, well, this, this is why we do what we do. Right. And I think that's a great answer as far as like, because it is a good discussion to have, but the proof is in the pudding, like every single year when, when you're able to continue to be that support that the community relies on, there's no real, you know, you can't really make an argument against it because we're so consistent and steady and we're just this pillar in the city that can, that can, you know, hold up so many different parts of the philanthropic sector, but yeah. Uh, question four, what is a recent victory, either personally or professionally, that you're proud of? Well, besides the Bombers winning a <laughs> great cup consecutively. Back to back. Which I can take absolutely no credit other than being a rabid fan. Um, yeah, well, it's not much you do on your own in life. But um, so, as I said, I recently retired, and I, I think I would... I feel very good about the organization that I was part of for uh, 21 years as their leader, because I worked with incredible men and women through that period of time. And we had the courage to follow uh, a vision that, you know, we came up with as an organization. Uh, we had also the courage to change it when it was being successful. Not an easy thing to do. It's easy to change when you know something isn't working, but something was working. But we just thought there was a better way and we had the courage to do that. Mm. And then I think, uh, so kind of bringing this to a close, um, <laughs> I would say uh, what I really feel good about that is that um, the team that, I've, that is there now, I had an internal successor, um, is what makes me feel really good because, um, you know, somebody told me a long time ago, it's true, leadership isn't about what happens when you're there, it's about what happens when you're not there. And so uh, I think in all organizations, at all levels, succession planning is really, really important. And I, I'm, I'm thrilled at the team that is at Cameron Credit Union now and, and uh, my successor will do a fabulous job, far better than I did, I'm sure. 
Great answer. I know that's a good perspective and a good like thought to have. And I love that quote because like, it's a hundred percent true, you know, you know, and there, that, that must've been a little bit or stressful for you being like, you know, I'm leaving here. I've been a big part of this place for 20 years. Like what's going to happen after I'm gone. Right. But as long as you have that process that, that you're a fan of, I think it's uh... well, look, no one's ir- no one is irreplaceable. My job is to work with the board to make sure they had an internal choice. You know, it's up to, it's up to the boards. CEOs don't hire future CEOs. The boards do, but, but, but you have a responsibility to help uh, develop people. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, I've only been in, in this, re- like I call it my big boy job because it's not in the restaurant industry, but I've only been here for a few years, but I'm, I'm slowly learning the value of these processes and these boards. You know, I kind of came in thinking like, why can't we just do things whenever we want and just like pick up the phone and just do it? Like, why do we have to go through all these layers of, you know, it just takes too much time. That was my initial thought, but the stability, the process, the, you know, it, it, it just creates this safety and, 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 you know, value, whereas the decisions that are being made, aren't just being made arbitrarily. Mm. There's a reason for everything. And I'm slowly learning that as a, you know, new, new to this whole industry, but, but I appreciate your insights. So, yeah. Thank you. Uh, Speaking of advice and insights, question five is what's the best piece of advice that you've ever been given? (laughs) Received a lot of good advice tried to listen to most of it. Um, you know, there's an expression I've used my whole life. I, I don't remember when I got it. I was probably about six years old or maybe five or seven. I don't know. From my Baba. <laughs> Tommy, stop, think, then think again. Mm. <laughs> you know what? That's really good advice. <laughs> and kind of look at the world we're in now, right? There is no shortage of information. There is information everywhere. The ability to evaluate that information, think critically about it, etc. Uh, you know, those skills have always been important, but probably uh, never more so than, than at this period in time. So my Bob knew what she was talking about. <laughs> That's such sage advice, because especially now when people are actively putting out false information on purpose to try to obfuscate and to try to confuse and to try to like muddy the waters of things like. I, I feel bad for people who just take everything at base value and don't stop and think and think again, because yes. it, you're doomed like you're really doomed. Uh, how how have you like you said you had a 20 year old ish daughter like what's the what is what's their generation dealing with this new world of social media and everything like how how are they handling that you'd have to ask her yeah is it how have you been handling it you know you know like, what are, so i mean she obviously she's uh she understands it better than i do for sure I, yeah, because she, uh, certainly my youngest daughter who's uh you know I don't know. Am I allowed to give ages? I don't know. <laughs> be safe. I won't. But anyways, you know, in her twenties, uh, she, she grew up from the earliest time, surrounded by digital everything. Right? Mm-hmm. I'm a digital immigrant. She's not. So, you know, she's she's kind of one of my gurus. Right? Like, I, I know if I need to ask something because I don't get it. Like, why is this important? Why do people like this? I just ask her, and she makes it clear to me. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, but and well, it that advice is just so relevant for for the digital realm, right? Because there's so much misinformation out there. There's so many bad actors out there that are trying to 
make chaos or whatever their reasoning is, right? So you have to be able to parse through the nonsense and, and get to the truth and uh, now, now more than ever. Well, uh, there's nothing new there. Mm. This has happened all throughout history. It's mm. just the medium has changed, right? And it's so much easier to reach large audiences and do things. So that's why I think, you know, stop, think, but think again. You know, yes. with, just because you think you've got an answer, really step back and, and evaluate whether that is the right answer. Did you do this with your head or your heart or your gut? Or what did you do this with? Yeah. Truly say, sage advice from Baba. It's always good advice from Babas, right? Like they know what they're talking about for sure. Yeah. Uh, question six, what advice would you give your 10-year-old self if you could talk to him right now? Huh. Um, don't think so linearly about the future. You don't know what opportunities are going to be coming your way. Um, don't be afraid to take a risk. Uh, if I think back to my mid-20s or early, early 20s anyways, I could never have predicted 90% of the things I've had the opportunity to be involved in. I also think about some of the courses I didn't take in university or I took nominally, right? <laughs> what was I thinking, you know? Yeah, I know you want to be an accountant, but there's, there's more to it than just accounting and finance, okay? Mm -hmm. And um, so, yeah, I think that's what I would I would tell myself. Great advice. Did you say linearly or literally? L linearly. Linear, right, yeah. Do this and then this and right. then that will happen and then this. And uh, life is, maybe it was a couple hundred years ago, but it, it certainly doesn't work like that now. I mean, you know, uh, if you're getting an education right now for a job, you know, half the jobs in the world, five years, 10 years from now, I don't know, pick a number, haven't even been invented yet. So <laughs> look what you're doing. Yeah. What a time to be alive. We didn't have this position 10 years ago. At the nope. Foundation, right? Exactly. Yeah. No, I was brought on as the video production person, like department yeah. basically. Right. Because that's yeah. just the world we're in now. We need content as it were. So yeah. The wild time. Tom, thank you so much for, for talking to us. Like, uh, I can tell that you're very wise. Every time you've like spoken at an event or anything, you, you, there's a, there's a quiet wisdom to your, your style. And I think it's, it's great to have you at the helm of the foundation of, of the board right now. So thank you for, for doing this podcast. Much appreciated. Um, the last question is the hardest one for people. Question seven is what do you want to be remembered for? If you've given it much thought. You're remembered for well, you know, I, look, <laughs> first and foremost, you know, I was a good son, a good husband, worthy of my children and grandchildren. Um, um, if, you know, if those things aren't true, then anything else I do probably doesn't really much matter. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I've just, I've been very blessed to meet so many great people and work with them. I, I really, I can't answer that. I, if those things happen, then I'm sure everything else is fine. And, and as a friend of mine told me a long time ago, you know, the number one determinant in how many people show up to your funeral is the weather. So. <laughs> Wisdom. Well, yeah. I was expecting a humble answer because I know you're known for your humility and it was a perfect answer. So thank you very much, Tom. Um, look forward to working with you in the future, seeing you at the events once we can go outside and it's not minus 100 anymore. But um, uh, I'm honored that you were on the show. Thank you for kicking off 2022 for us. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to say before we let you go? It was a lot of fun. I, you know, uh, Winnipeg Foundation is an incredible organization. Uh, so many people believe in what we do and, and help us in so many different ways and have for 100 years. And I just feel so excited about our future. Me too. 
Yeah. Well said, sir. Thank you very much for being on the Tom on the podcast, Tom Brick, the uh, board chair of the Winnipeg Foundation. Thanks for being here. Take care. Thank you again to Tom Brick for the conversation. Uh, I really appreciate his perspective when it comes to the process and the value of you know structure in our world and uh, the progress that these structures and processes can all do if we're all paddling in the same direction and working towards the same goals and trying to make the world a better place. Um, I don't think I really understood or understand fully the value of process because I'm more of just sort of a big picture um, thinker, but you know, bless the, pr- the process makers because uh, they really make the world go around. I really loved Tom's story about his baba too, <laughs> and her no-nonsense no advice. You know, that was a beautiful story. It made me think of my grandma as well. Uh, thank you for listening to the podcast. I'm sorry it's taken so long to bring the podcast back. I've taken a few months off. I've just been tired. I think lots of us are um, tired right now. Uh, and I just want to say, if you're feeling tired, I hear you. I see you. I am you. Um, we'll get through this. I know it. All music on this show is produced and composed by Trenton Burton. You can look up his new album, We're Lucky We're Here at All, on Spotify. Again, that's Trenton Burton on Spotify. Thank you to everyone on my team at the Winnipeg Foundation. Um, this podcast wouldn't exist without you all, so thank you so much. And thank you again for listening. Um, podcast wouldn't exist without listeners so thank you so much for listening and for sharing and for telling people about it and uh yeah appreciate you we'll see you next time and remember don't rush the process good things take time bye-bye